0: on TV. let's bring in the producer of voices of the walrus don dickinson to feature a couple of the really neat articles from this week's episode hey good morning don
1: hi there dave
0: don considering the subject matter of these two articles we could change the name of the show to vices of the walrus
1: I know. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Oh, my kind of segment
0: here on a Thursday morning. Uh, Dawn, the first one, I I mean, we're giggling a little bit here, but there is some seriousness to this. And it's discrimination against sex work has become a flashpoint for freedom of expression and economic rights advocates. So let's start with OnlyFans. That website banned porn from their platform and then backtracked. Why the initial ban?
1: Well, uh, in an interview with the Financial Times, OnlyFans founder and CEO Tim Stokely blamed the chaos on corporate struggles, including the frequent refusal by major banks to process its transactions or host-associated accounts. Such obstacles have fed the platform's anxiety about its long-term profitability, despite, and this blew me away, a user base of over 130 million. Wow. Only, yeah, OnlyFans has failed to attract venture capital. Its association with adult content appears to be scaring off investors and finance, financial institutions
0: not that I want to reveal too much here, but I, I thought OnlyFans was exclusively used by uh, porn stars. So that uh, goes to show my ignorance. I didn't know it served another purpose. Uh, Don, what's the argument that some people are making in relation to financial discrimination against sex workers?
1: Well, Rebecca Sullivan, a pornography studies scholar, I didn't even know that sort of uh, position existed, by the way, Dave, uh, at the University of Calgary, um, basically says that relentless moralizing uh, is a smokescreen for regressive politics. Sex work is not uniquely degrading, she says, and to most it's simply a job. Sullivan is especially frustrated frustrated by the way sex workers are forced to wear a financial scarlet letter under the guise of risk mitigation. Credit card companies complain that adult content generates high rates of what they call chargeback. And this is a term for when a customer contests a transaction and asks for the charge to be reversed. When it comes to pornography, and of course this is probably obvious, right, embarrassed clients will often report that the transaction was fraud rather than admit to the purchase. Mm. And of course, when this chargeback keeps occurring and occurring and occurring, the banks are not pleased.
0: Yeah, going a bit further there, Don. how do banks mm-hmm. perceive the industry?
1: Well, they're not particularly thrilled with it, as you can imagine. Uh, Valerie Weber, a porn performer and researcher who specializes in occupational health in the sex industry, uh, that's a subject that we've talked about obviously on air, uh, blames the banks for generating perpetual shame narratives about adult entertainment work. Uh, quote, performers and producers are denied personal credit cards, have accounts often suspended, incur bloated transaction costs, and even face outright exclusion from essential financial services. Uh, Worse, she said, these politics pointedly target a workforce largely composed of women, trans and queer folk. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just not being able to access the normal financial services that all all of us take as, as common. You yeah,
0: know? whether that be at the personal level or the business level as well for a lot of these uh, major production companies too. So it's a really interesting read. This is definitely one of those incredible walrus articles that just takes a bit of a different lens on an issue that may sort of be en passant commented on by people a chance to really uh, learn a little bit more here so Don thank you for giving us just a teaser on that one but we definitely encourage folks to listen to the episode on AMI-audio weekdays 9am Eastern Time Don let's move on to something else here a, a different vice and a vice that I'm very comfortable admitting that I sometimes buy into if you watch any kind of sports on TV you've surely noticed a barrage of commercials advertising online sports wagering companies it's a very recent development at a legislative level that has really opened the floodgates. So Don. let's start with some stargazing. Who are some of the high-profile celebrities being printed out in these commercials?
1: Okay, well you have to forgive me here, Dave, because I don't know these sports folks like you do, but basically (laughs) the article uh, uh, cites Edmonton Oilers Connor McDavid mm-hmm. is endorsing the big one which is the bet MGM mm-hmm. uh, actor Jamie Foxx and athletes such as NFL running back Marshawn Lynch and retired NBA forward Kevin Garnett and also uh, are also uh, bet MGM uh, brand ambassadors then there's all kinds of other folks that are working for places like Disney and whatnot um, and uh, those include uh, like I say forgive me here is it Lee? Rose, J- Jalen um, Rose, Jalen Rose, and they've got Charles Barkley and, um, uh, cable network, TNT, um, uh, sports betting uh, is also involved. So a lot of high-profile mm-hmm. people, uh, you know, in, in sports are are participating. There's a
0: lot of money out there in sports wagering, and it, it's splashed all over the sports broadcasts now. Sometimes in a very disingenuous way, but that's perhaps a different mm. uh, comment for me to get into. Uh, Don, I, I mentioned briefly off the top. There's been a legislative change nationally and provincial in the States as well. How has that taken sports gambling from bookies in back alleys to sanctioned online sportsbooks?
1: Well, the author writes that following in the steps of the U.S. and the U.K., Canada is caught up in a gambling gold rush that is basically uh, penetrating every crack and corner of the sports world. It's all thanks to recent legislation uh, that has changed, obviously, that legalizes most forms of sports betting in Canada and created a competitive market for private gambling companies in Ontario um spectators have been betting on the outcome of sports uh, for roughly as long as people have been playing sports obviously <laughs> <laughs> I bet <laughs> <But>, Don <Dawn> uh... <laughs> runs faster than Dave I got five dollars that Don wins <laughs> yeah. this foot race yeah uh, but with these uh, with the ease of technology and the weak advertising laws these new forms pose a serious risk to problem gamblers and of course that's obvious right yeah I mean now you can do it anywhere you know
0: yeah what are some of those broader concerns people are rising uh, raising about the possibility rising gambling addiction.
1: Yeah, well, this is the problem, right? I mean, many many who treat gambling addictions um, think that this is a very very risky business uh, and has to be taken very very seriously. Opening up the floodgates for people who may not uh, have gambled even in the first place, like people uh, uh, who never gamble, right? Mm-hmm. But because mm-hmm. of the because of the ease of access, and this is the thing, right? The idea that a, a legitimized market is is safer rests on the assumption that uh, that someone is actively trying to protect gamblers. And he says, who could possibly look out for the gamblers when the same companies that are broadcasting, reporting on and advertising the games now have a vested interest in encouraging the gambling?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, there's something about it that beyond the barrage of ads, there is something distasteful about sort of sports commentators getting up there and being, oh, you know, three and a half point favorite tonight for those interested, but they're not necessarily even offering any kind of analysis to that or any kind of like feedback to that they're just saying hey, gamble on it go ahead go for it and that is really disingenuous because now you're very passively giving the message to people you're very passive passively approving it and you might be putting people out there who don't actually know what they're doing the thing about gambling is there are a lot of people who are professional at it who know what they're doing who are studying the lines looking for trends doing all this stuff but you can't just sort of just casually mention, oh, yeah, put a couple bucks on the game, have a little bit of fun, because that can really trigger something in somebody. And it's, it's a bit of a dangerous practice. Now, I don't want to go too far into clutching my pearls on this, Don, because I'm someone who really <laughs> enjoys sports gambling. But for me, it's I'm going to lose 7 to $8 on a Sunday and every now and then win 4 to $5 on a Saturday. You know, we're really not talking about big, big margins, but it would be really easy if I had a more um, catalyzable personality then it would be very easy to drop 50, 60, 70, 100, 200 bucks, 1,000 bucks on a weekend if I didn't have a stop mechanism.
1: Oh absolutely. And and I think your point is well taken. It's the subtleness of it, right? It's these sports casters kind of making it just all kind of jolly and uh, oh you know it's it, it just sort of permeates the society, right? And that's the thing that these these gambling experts are really really worried about, right? Yeah. That vulner, vulnerable people, particularly people who may be like like think about the pandemic, right? Like if if this had have happened early on in the pandemic, I think it would have been horrendous, right? Because let's yeah. you know,
0: well, for what it's people worth, are bored for, to
1: tears. For what
0: it's worth, there was no sports to bet on early in the pandemic, well, though. I would have been yeah, betting true. on marble races.
1: Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like people I do. who are vulnerable and bored and 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 find this to be even slightly uh, titillating would think, "Oh, well, let's you know, it's an innocent little bet," yeah. and everybody's condoning it. I mean, that's the other thing, Dave. You know, it's this kind of whitewash of of, condo- uh, of condoning all of it, you mm-hmm,
0: know? Mm-hmm. I, the other thing that really strikes me, Don, I was having dinner with a few friends who work in the advertising industry the other night, and a lot of them are now working on some cannabis files. And apparently trying to crack ah. the advertising code in cannabis is quite difficult because there are a lot of rules about what you can do and where you can do it, particularly around age gating. They want to make sure nobody under legal consumption age is seeing an ad for cannabis products. However, it seems with gambling, we're totally cool just bombarding the airwaves with ads.
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that about the cannabis. How in the world do you do that so that kids don't, I mean, kids see everything. I think kids see more than adults sometimes, you know?
0: Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why they're not really allowed to advertise in online spaces. They can't advertise on TV or other linear linear media. A lot of the advertising, and this is what they're trying to figure out, is how to do advertising in-store, how do you cut deals with the store oh. to feature your products? But I don't want to reveal too much because I was actually doing a little Dave Brown consulting at that dinner table, oh. and I shared some pretty good <laughs> ideas with them. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to cut myself out of my own deals that I was trying to make at that dinner table. Uh, but Don, we're so appreciative that you took some time for us this morning to share these articles. We're encouraging folks 9 a.m. Eastern Time on weekdays to uh, tune in to Voices of the Walrus. Great work as always, Don. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Okay, bye bye.
0: That's Don Dickinson, the producer of Voices of the Walrus, which you can find weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Now, some of you might say, well, at 9 a.m., sometimes I hear uh, the McLean's Magazine show. That's because they alternate Voices of the Walrus and McLean's. Either way, they're both great reading shows, and they're both produced by Don Dickinson. So, how can you go wrong? Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv.